Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a former pastor retreats into the woods of South Carolina and discovers the art of dowsing and the existence of subtle earth energies and other dimensions inhabited by intelligent beings. At one time, when I was down at the medicine wheel, I meditating down there, I was just surrounded by these wise women who worked on my ankle and healed my ankle. I went down there with a cane and a cast, and I practically danced back home. And since then, about two years ago, I've never had an ankle problem since. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free, and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android, available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday, Black Friday. Happy shopping. I hope my American listeners had an enjoyable and safe Thanksgiving. I know for many of you it was not a typical Thanksgiving, maybe not a large gathering. Perhaps some of you spent it alone, which is truly heartbreaking, but no, I'm thinking about you. Let's hope things open up and get back to normal by Christmas. Jim Willis is here to discuss his incredible spiritual journey after a 40-year career spent as a Christian pastor. He's here to talk about dowsing, unseen worlds and dimensions, subtle energies, and more. After graduating from the Eastman School of Music, Jim was a high school band and orchestra teacher during the day, a symphony trombonist on the weekends, a jazz musician at night, and a choral conductor on Sunday mornings before earning his master's degree in religion and entering the Protestant ministry for 40 years. He is the author of 13 books on spirituality and lost civilizations. He served as an adjunct college professor in the fields of world religions and instrumental music while working part-time as a carpenter. He is the host of his own drive-time radio show, an arts council director, and guest lecturer, speaking about topics ranging from historical studies to contemporary spirituality. His teaching career produced both the comprehensive one-volume encyclopedia of religion, the religion book, and Armageddon Now, which was written with his wife Barbara. Concern for spiritual growth in contemporary society prompted his book Faith, Trust, and Belief, while his love for long-distance bicycling led him to make several cross-country bike trips and inspired his biking trilogy, Journey Home, Snapshots and Visions, and Savannah, A Bicycle Journey Through Time and Space. Upon retirement, he was determined to confront the essential spirituality that has inspired humankind since the very beginnings of time. The result of this quest is chronicled in his books, 
The Dragon Awakes, Rediscovering Earth Energy, Ancient Gods, and Supernatural Gods. His recent books include Lost Civilizations, The Quantum Akashic Field, Hidden History, Ancient Aliens and the Suppressed Origins of Civilization, and Censoring God, The Suppression of the Lost Books of the Bible and Other Scriptures, which will be released in April 2021. Jim Willis, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm real good, Richard. I hope you're uh, keeping safe and looking forward to a good, uh, or by the time we do this, it'll be after. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. You know, uh, I'm up here in Canada and- uh, Oh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, we have, this is, there are two, as I see it, two fundamental differences between Americans and Canadians. Number one, you have your Thanksgiving in November. We have ours in October. Uh-huh. The second one is, and this is important, you buy your milk in jugs, we buy our milk in bags, if you can believe it. Now, I didn't know that, and I've spent quite a, time, quite a bit of time in Canada, and I didn't realize that. There you go. So these are irreconcilable where? differences. I don't know how we, it is we get along. <laughs> where, where are you in Canada? Just north of Toronto in Old Thornhill, a little village. Oh, yeah, some nice, nice country there. Yes. Nice country. I've done some bicycling through uh, uh, through Ontario and uh, done a lot of traveling up in somewhere around your neck of the woods uh, in around Toronto and not. So we, we might have even passed each other without knowing it. Two ships, indeed. In the <laughs> I want to go back to one of your previous books three years ago, Supernatural Gods, and you talk yes. about black holes and dark energy and dark matter, and, and the the whole, the idea here, the upshot is that so much of the universe is is unknown. Sixty eight percent is dark yeah. energy, and dark matter is another twenty seven percent. So that leaves about five percent that we can actually see matter that's normal and visible. Yeah. Um, so what do, you th what do you think that other 95% is exactly? Oh, a great mystery, <laughs> a great mystery. That 95% is why I moved to the woods of South Carolina 11 years ago. Uh, I had been a minister for, a Christian minister for 40 years. And uh, when I first got into the ministry, my thought was, you know, as we all think, oh, we're going to be involved in this religious community, this spiritual community, and we're going to be involved in spiritual growth and like-minded people. And after you get out of school and after you get into your first church and everything, you realize it's just not like that at all. Um, it's like any other job in a lot of ways as a minister. You're kind of the CEO of a, of a church and you've got committee meetings and you've got politics to deal with and personalities to deal with and you're always thinking about what comes next and pretty soon 40 years goes by and you wonder what happened so when it came time for me to retire 11 years ago my wife and i retired up here to the woods with an agenda we decided we wanted to really wrestle with the spirituality that uh, i had been preaching and teaching about um i was a uh a, I also taught world religions, various world religions, uh, a comparative religion class in college at the college level. And uh, I had been talking and preaching and teaching about all this stuff. But when we came up here, we wanted to go on retreat for a year. We wanted to, <laughs> in effect, wrestle with God. Uh, we wanted to experience that spiritual reality. And I came up here with a, uh, a prayer really on my lips, the same prayer that uh, uh, in the Old Testament, 
uh, Jacob had he, when he was wrestling with God. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And uh, lo and behold, the prayer was answered, but not at all within the confines of Christianity. Uh, probably it wouldn't have worked with me. It was too much, uh, you know, too much of a habit, so to speak. Uh, and I discovered uh, the spiritual that I was looking for, but I discovered in a in a, a form, in a package that was probably much closer to what we would today call paganism, uh, shamanism, than uh, I ever had thought. So we came up here for one year for a spiritual retreat. That was 11 years ago, and we're still going strong. And it was up here in the quiet of the woods um, when I was able to finally slow my life down and calm things down and find a, um, a peace and spend hours, not just minutes here or there, but hours in meditation and in contemplation and in just sitting out with my back against a tree, just experiencing. Uh, it was there that I think I began to finally find that 95% that we were talking about. Um, it's, it's very real, and through dowsing, I came, I came to understand that we can be in touch with it uh, much bigger than we could possibly expect. 95% of uh, infinity is pretty big. And uh, when, we, uh, uh, when we begin to contact it for the first time and, and discover uh, the real spirituality, the essence of who we are, and find that it's out there, and uh, we discover a landscape. Uh, with me, it was through not only dowsing, but out-of-body experiences. We discover a landscape that uh, mystics and gurus and rishis have been exploring for oh, thousands, thousands of years. And the thing that I find exciting about living in this day and age is the uh, that landscape was just discovered within the last hundred years by scientists. They didn't discover it through intuition. They discovered it through mathematics. They called it quantum physics. And uh, they discovered that as they started playing with quantum physics and discovered a universe totally separate from ours, totally out there, I call it the place of the supernatural gods, which is where the book came from, uh, we discover that it's, it's full of life and it's, it's full of insight and full of probabilities and possibilities. And there's just, there's just no end to it. it it's, been, uh, it's been quite a ride for 11 years. What does dowsing have to do with that other 95% of the known of the unknown universe you know it's a strange thing um, when I came out here to the woods I I had seen a couple of dowsers try to find water but uh, that that was all that I thought I thought it was just a dowsing was just a method of trying to find water and uh, one day about 10 11 years ago I just decided I needed to learn how to douse for water I just wanted to so I went down to my local hardware store uh, believe it or not they didn't have any dowsing rods but they did have uh, copper rods copper tubing and that I got it in the highest the thickest gauge I could cut it into about 19 inch uh, sections came back and bent it in the shape of a letter L which is why they're called L rods and uh, you put one in each hand and you point them forward and you find that sense of balance where they can move without you moving them. And I went out to find water and I struck out totally. Couldn't find a thing. 
Um, and I was discouraged, so I came back into my uh, my house again. I did what we all did when we strike out. We go on the Internet, right? We start to do some research. And I found something there about dowsing for earth energy. And that's what got me going because after reading a couple of uh, articles and uh, seeing a couple of videos done by a man who became a mentor even though i've never met him personally uh, although i have met his wife he's he's passed away now uh hamish miller the great granddaddy of all british dowsers and uh, he was talking about dowsing for earth energy i went out in the front yard and took the step probably that has changed my life more than anything i've ever done um i stepped across this earth energy uh, the line of Earth energy, it was a, it turned out to be a ley line, 84 inches wide. Um, I have since doused it out. It's a, it's a, just a, a stream of energy with two definite banks. I come up to it from one side and the dowsing rods cross. I go cross it to the other side and come back on the other side of the stream and they cross again. I can stand in the middle and I can say which way is the energy coming from and both rods will point to the direction that's coming from and then which way is it going and they'll turn and point away. And I wanted to find out how this worked or what was going on and I discovered that our bodies are experiencing this energy all the time. It's all around us. We experience a very narrow band uh, of energy that uh, in, in terms of light, for instance, we can see the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. But we know that above that and below that, there is all kinds of uh, light waves that we can't see, we don't experience. That doesn't mean they're not there. They're going through us all the time. But these dowsing rods can experience that energy. And if you focus in on certain kinds of energy and eliminate, try to eliminate all the rest from your thinking, the dowsing rods become like uh, rabbit ears on the old televisions. You know, when you got the first black and white television, for those of you old enough to remember that, you had a little television sitting up there and, and had these rabbit ears on top and you could pick the rabbit ears up and walk around the room a little bit. And uh, you discovered that when you hit a certain spot in the room or held them a certain way, all of a sudden the picture cleared up. When you moved off, the picture got fuzzy again. And it was the first time in your life you probably ever really realized that you were walking through a field of television waves. They were there all along, but your body didn't know it. The rabbit ears, the antenna, they picked it up and they knew it. And uh, so they would, and you could see the results right in front of you on the TV. And I think that's what dowsing rods are. This earth energy um, is either even from other dimensions, whether it's electromagnetic, whether it's a, a quantum entanglement that we don't understand yet totally, whatever it is, we're experiencing it all the time. And these dowsing rods, there's nothing magic about them. You know, the, the, the energy itself doesn't move the rods. But what the rods do is as you focus, it's a kind of a focused meditation, meditation, a guided meditation. And as you focus on these um, dowsing rods, on, on what you're trying to find, you can discover that uh, the dowsing rods will respond because your body is responding. And the dowsing rods are simply the antenna that's showing you uh, what they are, and through a series of yes or no questions, uh, is this water energy? And that the rods, in my case, if they just sit there and don't move, then I'll know that's a no. 
if if I say, is it is it water that I'm dowsing? And they cross, then I know, yes. Oh, or I can say, is this electromagnetic? Is this quantum? Is this, and I don't even understand all this. So I just kind of, sometimes I just say, is this a, a spiritual energy? I, I'm, I'm convinced there's that it's not necessarily um, metaphysical even or supernatural, although that's what it feels like when you're involved in it. It's a, it's a science that we just don't understand yet. And with the quantum um, physicists working as hard as they are and understanding this whole idea of quantum reality, or as uh, uh, Irvin Laszlo calls it, the Akashic field, uh, he used the term Akashic because it comes from the old Indian word, a Sanskrit word, really, in India. Uh, that is simply a, a, a field of possibilities and probabilities. And we're in it all the time. But because our bodies have evolved to follow the five senses uh, around us, um, the five senses are wonderful because they help us relate with the material world. But they also shut out a lot. And the dowsing rods can take us outside of those five senses. It's it's hard thing to explain. I hope I'm I hope I'm coming close. I think so. But you you mentioned that it answers yes or no questions. So it has consciousness. It has oh, an intelligence. Yeah, I think it is consciousness. As a matter of fact, I even wonder if we are corresponding with other seekers on the other side. Um, I have, for instance, a spirit guide who I discovered. <laughs> Here's a Christian minister talking about spirit guides. But uh, I discovered that there was an actual presence that I could have this conversation with. Uh, it's frustrating in some ways because without out-of-body experiences, if you've just got the dowsing rods, all you can do is ask yes and no questions. We're limited to that. But I discovered an actual presence. Now, I don't know if this presence is me on the other side or if this presence was me in a previous life or a different life or perhaps a life that uh, bubbled off from my own, uh, bringing up Hugh Everett's idea of uh, the, the uh, collapsing quantum universes and the multiverse that surrounds us. Every time a measurement is made or a decision is made, a new universe kind of springs into, into, uh, uni uh, into existence that follows that particular uh, decision. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand the whole thing. All I know is it's it, it's it's very real, and when you're in touch with it, uh, it'll really change your life. I I even wonder uh, if um, I mean I I am a great believer that the universe is full of life, and I'm just about 100% sure that we have been contacted, and perhaps are being contacted by other beings within this within this uh, perception realm. But I even wonder if some of the uh, the alien encounters that we've experienced um, have to do with beings that we are in touch with, not necessarily from uh, this universe, but perhaps a parallel universe that's uh, that's close, and they have uh, learned how to make the transition through, as we can make the transition through uh, in out of body experiences. Right, uh, interdimensional as opposed to extraterrestrial. That that's my sort of present yeah. world view of that. Yeah, phenomenon. Yeah, interdimensional is just the perfect way to put it, I think, yeah. This uh, energy, do you think it corresponds to what, what some people have referred to as the ether? You know, language, language is tough uh, because our language was, is a human invention 
that we have discovered, that we have invented to try to describe things within our own perception realm, that area within our fivefold senses, a fence that surrounds us. Um, so I think ether is probably a very good word, but I'm sure that other people have used it in other ways. And so I think I, I try to be careful and not use a particular word because I know what I mean by it, but I'm not sure what they mean by it. Kind of like the word God. I'm, I'm not even comfortable using the word God anymore because uh, although it's a perfectly adequate word for me uh, to explain what I'm seeing, other people have a much, I think, a much more narrow in the picture of it, of the word that I do. But yeah, I think um, as long as we understand what we're saying by ether, that, that's a good, probably a good way of saying it. Um, so this is obviously a very, this is a subtle energy. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it can't be measured by, by any known scientific equipment, I, I guess, as far as I know, and yet it is detectable to these copper rods. Yeah. What do you, what do you imagine we might be able to do with it once we can measure it and maybe tap into it if that's possible? Well, I to be honest, I think that other civilizations in the past uh, have perhaps done this, and they've done all kinds of wonderful things with them. Uh, I think they gave them a technology that uh, was totally different than ours, that we simply don't understand. Um, I, I visited the pyramids, for instance, and uh, I'll never forget walking, walking in the first time I walked underneath one of the, the, the Great Pyramid, actually, in Giza. Uh, there was a small group of us, and you can't go in there without a guide, and so they had assigned us a, a traditional uh, Egyptian uh, uh, archaeologist who was a, who was our guide, and he was a kind of a no nonsense guy, you know. But we're walking in there. We're walking down this dark tunnel, and it's getting smaller and smaller. And there were these wires running along the pathway where we're walking. And the purpose of the wires was to uh, power the lights that were in there, so we could see what we were doing, where we were going. And it, it occurred to me about, oh, I don't know, halfway into the Great Pyramid, it occurred to me, how, do, how did they do this? How did they get in here in the past? They must have had torches. So I looked up at the ceiling and I looked at the walls and there was no uh, soot or anything like that. So they didn't. it wasn't through torches. Uh, so I asked the guide in front of me as, on our way into the, the main chamber there and I said, um, how do you suppose they found their way in here? without the torches because there's no soot or anything. And the guy, he actually turned away from me, shook his head, walked away, and he said, well, they must have had a light source. <laughs> and that was it. I have no doubt that there have been civilizations in the past that have discovered how to tap this energy. And I think it's such a powerful energy that probably what happened to them is what could very easily happen to us. Um, except that we discovered nuclear energy. Now, we know for a fact that uh, nuclear energy could destroy us, could destroy life as we know it on this planet for a thousand years or more. And uh, we know that it's possible, especially those of us who grew up during the Cold War, we're taught beyond the shadow of a doubt that the whole idea of mutual assured destruction and peace was that we can kill them 15 times and they can kill us only 13 times, so we win. Uh, I had no doubt that some societies handled this power, and maybe they couldn't handle it. Maybe it was too strong for them. Maybe, just like us, their reach exceeded their grasp. Their technology exceeded their uh, ethical responsibility. You know, just because you, you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should do it. And uh, I don't know. I... Uh, 
I, I know right away that if some scientist were to have some kind of a breakthrough and said, this earth energy that's all around us, we know how now, we know how to uh, utilize it. I'm sure that the first people would grab hold of it would be the military. They'd want to use it for military purposes. That's all. That's just the way we think, and uh, it's it's a tragedy. So when you say, uh, could we harness it? Yeah, I think we could, and I think we will. And the whole point is going to be the whole key to the whole thing is going to be when we do uh, is our ethical and moral. Uh, responsibility enough to help us use it wisely. Sometimes I, I really worry that not yet, not yet. Are these uh, energy fields, are they related to ley lines or dragon lines where we often find these uh, ancient monuments, pyramids, Stonehenge, etc.? Yeah, 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 they are. Um uh, Ley lines, the definition, uh, and people aren't using really the word ley lines too much anymore, but they're using energy lines. But I, I like the word ley line. Ley lines are usually straight rivers of energy. But like any river, it gathers tributaries that swirl around it. And these energy lines spiral around the main line. And I think where they cross, where there are vortexes of energy, just like when two rivers come together, there's a vortex of energy. Where they cross is a very powerful place. And I think many of the ancients uh, built their megalithic monuments at these places where the vortex was because they experienced it and they wanted to amplify it. Um, did they learn how to somehow use it? Uh, well, I think probably in some cases they did. But when we uh, look at Stonehenge, or when we look at Gobekli Tepe, or when we look at uh, in Peru or in Central America and see these magnificent places, sometimes they're built in places where you'd wonder why are people gathering here. There's no, there, uh, you, you can't grow crops up there. Sometimes they're way up in the mountains and the hills. There's no water up there. Why did they choose to build them there? And I think the reason was they, they chose to build them there because that was where the energy lines were. And they were attempting to amplify it. And uh, I, I think ley lines probably formed a, a grid. Uh, Francis Hitchings thought this. when he, he was the one that first discovered ley lines. He had a, a kind of a vision of this, this grid of lines. And through those, following those lines, people found their way around. Um, and they marked them in certain places to amplify the results, whatever they were. It's it's funny as a uh, a Christian minister, I now read the Bible totally different than I did before. But I go back into the Old Testament, especially, and I find all kinds of references to dowsing and all kinds of references to uh, straight energy grids and and uh, ways of uh, experience in the world. Moses, for instance, was said to go out into the desert, uh, the Sinai Peninsula, with his rod, and he discovered water at a particular rock. Now, that, that's classic dowsing. And I think perhaps uh, Old Testament images like the Ark of the Covenant were perhaps, uh, they, we, we might someday discover that it was 
these things were built to uh, amplify these waves of energy, uh, perhaps for ways of communication or to perhaps to mark trails. Uh, you go out in the southwest of America right now, and I'm, I'm amazed that just within the last 30 years, really, we've discovered these long, straight tracks right through the desert. And if a mountain gets in the way, rather than go around the mountain, these tracks go right over the top of the mountain. We found them through satellite images now, uh, leading to central places, for instance, uh, uh, well, some of the uh, the Anasazi ruins, uh, Chaco Canyon and places like that. I, I think these were all um, mapped out by the ancients, and I'm fascinated to, to find out what we're, what we're going to do with this as the knowledge keeps pouring in and people keep writing about it. More of my conversation with Jim Willis when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. C60 Evo's Miracle Molecule ESS60 makes a great gift for your friends, family, and their pets. Why not give the gift of radiant health to everyone on your list? ESS60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of C60. Take ESS60 for increased strength, flexibility, immunity, and better sleep. You know, the mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking it for a year now. A tablespoon full every morning, and we've never felt better, never slept better. No aches, no pains. We're mentally focused and sharp. Is it any wonder? This antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and super antioxidant is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. You heard me right. 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. To order your bottle of ESS60 from C60 Evo, go to the episode notes for this podcast or click on the banner ad for C60 Evo at the bottom of my website, strangeplanet.ca. And now, until the end of the year, you can take 15% off your order with the coupon code JOLLY15RS. JOLLY15RS. That's JOLLY15RS. The coupon's not valid for cases or subscriptions and cannot be used with any other coupon code. Valid through December 31st, 2020. Again, to order your Miracle Molecule in a bottle, go to the episode notes for this podcast or go to my website, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom and click on the C60 Evo banner. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, treat, or diagnose. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day and it was, good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Jim Willis, the author of The Quantum Akashic Field and Lost Civilizations, is here. I don't know if you've been to America's Stonehenge up in New England. Yes, but I'm, oh, yes many what, times. Yes. What would happen if you were to take your L-rods up there, or have you? No, I haven't. And uh, when I went up there, I was just beginning, this was probably the first time I was up there was maybe 30 years ago. Uh, I used to live in New England and uh, I made many trips and I, I wasn't dowsing back then and I wasn't in tune with earth energies at all. Uh, about a year ago, I did uh, a radio uh, program with the man who uh, runs uh, the uh, America Stonehenge now. 
And uh, we had a wonderful time together, the two of us on the radio. It was We were on for an hour, and it was much too short. And he's invited me to come back up and bring my uh, bring my rods, my dowsing rods with me. And I just haven't been able to get up there. I'm down in South Carolina now, so it's a major trip. But he's uh, issued me an open invitation, and I hope I can go. And next time I go up there, I will certainly take my dowsing rods with me. How are these Earth energies connected to the Akashic field. You mentioned the Akashic field or the the Akashic record, which yep. is supposedly a repository of every every spoken word, every thought uh, man yes. has ever made. What's the connection? Well, the whole idea, from a scientific perspective, the whole idea of the Akashic records is that it's a scientific principle that in a closed system, such as our universe, information cannot uh, disappear. Uh, it can change forms, uh, but it, it can't escape a closed system. So uh, my concept of the Akashic Records is that uh, because we come out of the Akashic field, because it's one of the places we come through, so to speak, when we leave the source and begin to come and travel out here and our energy gets translated, transferred into mass and we become material beings out here on the edge, as I like to call it, and the Akashic field is one of those fields we go through. It's a field of infinite possibility and probability. And I think that every single bit of information, and by bit of information, I mean every word, every thought, every deed, every decision, is somehow stored. Uh, Stephen Hawking believed this. He thought it was stored in black holes. If we could only learn how to, to translate it. Um, and... Uh, of course, the other great field that we come through when energy is changed to mass, and Einstein gave us the equation for it, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. The other field after after the Akashic field, we come through the Higgs field, the newly discovered Higgs field, which is where energy takes on mass, so to speak, or it is transferred. But when it when our energy is gone, when our body dies, when it comes time for our essence to come back to the source, uh, I think everything that we have experienced here in this great school of life, we discover it is stored in the Akashic Record. And I think the reason for this is, because when you start to think about it, uh, if we originate from the source, from God, from Brahman, from Manitou, however we want to, whatever word we want to use, um, in that place, in the source, whatever else it is, it is perfect peace, perfect unity, perfect oneness. And the only thing that can't be experienced in the source is individuality. And so if the source is ever going to grow, so to speak, it has to learn how to experience everything. And the way to experience everything is through one of those things is individuality. So I think we come out here, we have, we live our life we make our decisions, we make our choices, we experience the good and the bad, the duality, as the Buddha called it. We experience both, and then on our way back to the source, we understand that all of the experiences, the thoughts, everything that we have in this great school that we call life has been stored uh, in the Akashic record, Akashic field. And it is through that field then that the source can actually grow. So in effect, 
We are dependent on the source because that's where we come, but the source is dependent upon us. We are, in effect, the body of God, if you want to put it within a Christian context or Jewish or, or Muslim context. We are the very body of God experiencing individuality. And chalking up all of these records, everything we've learned, every bit of information. That's why Irvin Laszlo refers to the Akashic field as uh, not an information field, but uh, a field that is informed, in informing, so to speak. It is being formed by everything that we do and experience here. That's again, it's a wild concept. <laughs> I hope oh, I didn't go too, too, too far afield from that wonderful question you had. Well, do you believe that Edgar Casey was able to access the Akashic field? I have a, a, a colleague, a long a time friend of mine, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, who is sort of in that, that line of the sleeping prophets, uh, yes. who, is, who claims he can access it through in a quantum, quantum meditative state. How does that work, yeah. do you think? How do they do that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Edgar Cayce was a great example of one who, who uh, had a, a, a tremendous um, interaction with the Akashic field, with that other field of reality. Uh, when Edgar Cayce talked about the, uh, the quantum records, he called it God's Book of Life. And uh, I think it's a wonderful term for it. And the sleeping prophet, I can really identify with that because it's it's happened to me when I started having out of body experiences. Now, normally, um, when that happens, your your body is at peace and you are uh, you are experiencing a time when the body is asleep but the mind is wide awake. However, there have been times when, uh, uh, well, about. 15 years ago, I started, I started developing epileptic seizures. And uh, I, I don't have them now very often, but I did for a while. And I began to look into them and discover that uh, the same places in the brain that light up on an MRI during an epileptic seizure are the very same places in the brain that light up when uh, mystics are in deep contemplation. So when I heard this, Man, I didn't want to take any medicine for epilepsy because I didn't want to shut the, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want to shut out the bad guys of epilepsy and also shut out the good guys of out-of-body experiences. But I, since then, although I don't have epileptic seizures very often anymore, there have been times when I have just plain disappeared, gone to sleep, and I wake up and I look at my wife's face and she's looking at me and she's writing madly and everything else because it turns out that. Totally unknown to me. Apparently, I channeled something, and she would write down the words. It's happened with my wife. Uh, my my daughter has her own separate notebook. She lives right next door because sometimes it has happened over there. And uh, I never know when it's going to happen. But when I come out, I discover that I was talking in a different kind of voice. It was my voice, and I was talking in uh, sometimes kind of cryptic language uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense at the time, but it becomes clear afterwards what it is. Uh, so I can't, I can't very well look at Edgar Casey's experience and my experience and say they were different. Uh, I think he was probably much more in tune than I was, but um, it's it's a it, 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 it's it's quite an experience when it happens. First time it happened, I looked at my wife and she was saying, "Wow," and I said, "Well, what?" She said, "Don't don't you know what just happened?" And I said, "No." And she said, you were out. And I said, well, what do you mean out? 
she said, you, you went away and a voice was speaking and I wrote down the words. Here's what it said. Um, in my book, uh, The Quantum Akashic Field, uh, I share a lot of these memories of uh, things that we've written down afterwards. And uh, it's, it's, it's always uh, a surprise. I never know when it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's very real. And I'm sure that in those moments, I have somehow established the, uh, a connection with an entity from the other side who was able to speak through me. Could you share a, a memory or two now on this podcast? Uh, this is from my, my journal, uh, September 23, 2012. I feel myself going out of body, but somehow haven't quite prepared for it. Suddenly, I find myself down at our medicine wheel, surrounded by a great gray dome that cuts me off from the rest of the world. And I ask what I need to learn here and a kind of a prayer to whom it may concern. And immediately I am surrounded by ancient ones, perhaps American Indians, drumming and dancing in a circle around me. It's a good dance, and I'm not concerned. It feels very real and somehow uplifting. Then my physical nose starts to itch. <laughs> I'm upset because I'm afraid that if I move my hand to scratch the itch, I will break the mood with physical movement, so I resist the urge. The itch becomes intense, and a funny thought occurs to me. I decide to treat this as if I'm participating in a sun dance ritual. In this ritual, an Indian seeking spiritual strength endures the agony of being pierced through the chest muscles with wooden rods and then hoisted by those rods up on a, a pole where other Indians dance around him praying for him while he seeks a vision. I could go on, but this is only for the benefit of those who are not familiar with the sun dance. It's, it's, it's quite a spiritual exercise. I get quite a kick out of equating my itch on my nose with the pain of the sun dance. I thought it quite funny. Uh, one is so trivial and the other is so intense, but the urge to scratch soon becomes unbelievable. It was all I could do to keep my hands still. Every time I thought it would subside, it came back worse than before, but I endured to the end with one part of me fighting a great battle against caving into the physical urge to scratch an itch and the other laughing at the absurdity of a guy who uses, who puts any importance at all in such a trivial exercise. I'm glad to announce, however, uh, that uh, my Sundance was a success. I resisted the urge to scratch and defeated all local principalities and powers to, to the people we shall overcome. <laughs> and I, I returned to my body quite satisfied with myself in spite of feeling a bit foolish. I immediately decided to write this long night up in my journal. And when I was about halfway through, Barb got up to ask if I wanted to do a hot tub in the morning. But as soon as she saw me sitting at the computer, she became quite concerned. What's wrong? I asked. What did you do to your nose? She answered. It's covered in blood. Indeed, it was. There was a scratch on the outside and I had bled quite a bit. By now it had dried up, but there it was. My nose was covered with crusted blood. I went to check my pillow. I thought that maybe I had scratched myself in the night somehow, but there was nothing there. Apparently, it had happened some time ago, though, because the blood was dried and had clotted, and I don't remember bumping into anything since I got up to meditate. And the part that caused the scratching temptation during my Sundance was on the right side. The scratch was on the left. I guess I must have bumped against something without knowing it, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Um uh, there was another another time when I went down 
uh, I had uh, had bad ankles for a long time, and my I had I I think I'm pretty sure I broke my right ankle. It was in a cast for quite some time. I mean, I, I, my own. I didn't go to the doctor for it. I just um, put it in a typical cast you get at the store. But um, one time when I was down at the medicine wheel, I meditating down there, I was just surrounded by these wise women who worked on my ankle and healed my ankle. I went down there with a cane and a cast, and I practically danced back home. And since then, about two years ago, I've never had an ankle problem since. Um, hmm. How did it happen? Well, I just I, I can't explain it. All I can say is that... Uh, we, we can contact the other side when we've put ourselves in a place to be able to do that. You were a, a pastor, I believe you said, for 40 years. What yep. would, what would uh, the old Jim Willis have had to say about what's happening to the new Jim Willis? Oh, he would have had some words for me, I'm sure. <laughs> I just never believed this stuff. I didn't accept it. Uh, I, I would try to say, well, I can't tell you how many times, for instance, I've been in the hospital with people who had died and then come back, uh, holding their hand, praying with them. And all of a sudden, they flatline on the machines, and the nurses come, and the doctors come. But then they do their magic, and the person comes back. And they often come back with fantastic stories about seeing loved ones or seeing guardian spirits. And I never believed them. And I, and I just kicked myself how much I could have learned if I realized that these people were actually, I thought it was just, you know, could be explained away through biology or something with our, in our minds or something like that. Um, I, I wish that the old Jim Willis had been more open-minded and could have listened to those people, what I could have learned that could have saved me so much trouble. Um, and I think it's important for all of us to learn it. Let me, let me share another, another story why this stuff is so important. It's not just woo-woo, magic, metaphysical, uh, new age stuff like everybody says. Oh, it's interesting, but what is it? what purpose does it have? I got a call one time in the morning about three o'clock in the morning, a good friend of mine was in the hospital. And he was asking for me. He wasn't expected to live through the night. And uh, the nurse called me and said, I know it's in the middle of the night, Reverend Willis, but can you come? He's asking for you. He might not make it till morning. And I said, sure. So I got out of bed, got my clothes, drove, drove through the night to the hospital. And I stood there. And when I walked in, he and I were friendly enough where I didn't have to beat around the bush like we always do today. You always seem to be pretending that death isn't real and it's somehow going to go away. And I just looked at him. I said, Brad, are you, are you, uh, are you ready to go? And he burst into tears. Now, this man was a brilliant man. He, was, he had a couple of doctorates. He had founded a university. He was a pillar of the community, pillar of the church, uh, made a small fortune along the way. Uh, it just was, he'd done everything. And here he was crying. And I said, Brad, what, what, what is that? Are you, are you afraid? He said, Jim, I've done a lot in my life that I'm, a, I'm proud of, but I didn't do the one thing that was most important. And I said, what's that? And he said, I didn't prepare for this moment. Mm. I've never forgotten that. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is uh, so important because it helps us prepare for that moment of death so that we enter into it with openness and open mind and open heart 
uh, with excitement, with awe. We are returning home. And there's a whole difference between doing that and going through that passage when you're scared to death of what's going to happen and all this kind of thing. Totally different mindset. There's so much anxiety right now, and you've, oh, yeah. you've, you've written about Armageddon in, in the past. Yeah. Um, wh- what's the next five years going to look like? Do you have any any knowledge that's been imparted to you either from your guides or from the, the Akashic field? No, I haven't, and it wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, I have really tried. Um, either in my sense, in, in my case, uh, it is being held back from me, or I'm not mature enough yet to be able to handle it. Uh, a couple of times I've had indications that uh, uh, something was going to happen, and then something happened and I could probably say, well, maybe that was what they were talking about. This uh, epidemic, for instance, is, is one thing. I had, I had a vision of some kind of sorrow that was just sweeping over the earth, but I had no idea what it was. Uh, and it was just, it was so much that I woke up from this out-of-body experience, I was just crying, um, weeping for the earth. And uh, for a long time, I didn't know what it was. I, I tried to say, well, maybe it's an environmental disaster. Maybe we're going to hit by a comet. Maybe we're going to become another lost civilization. But when the epidemic came, I began to suspect that maybe this was what it was. But it's real easy. Nostradamus did this all the time. to put down a, uh, a prophecy and then have everybody, after the prophecy comes to ful- fulfillment, afterwards they say, oh, that's what he meant. But when you say it, sometimes you just don't know. So in answer to your question, I, I sure wish I did know, but uh, I just don't. Well, are you positive? Are you pessimistic? Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Uh, honestly, uh, if I had to say one thing or another, I'd say I'm pessimistic. And I never thought about that before. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, is that in itself uh, a sense of what I'm sensing? I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. I, uh, I try to be positive. I try to to think that we're on the cusp of a great breakthrough. And I think it's possible. Uh, There are a lot of people, I'm sure, that listen to your show and uh, a lot of people around the world that I've met, a a good community of people who are really looking forward to spiritual enlightenment and reaching that critical mass where there are enough people seeking spiritual enlightenment on this earth where we can change the human race. There's a lot of people believe that. Unfortunately, for everyone I know that like that, I can probably name 10 or 12 that are, are not that way at all. So uh, I, I don't want to give anybody the idea that I'm making a prophecy here because I'm not. But yeah, I'm pretty pessimistic. I, and I hadn't thought about it until you asked the question. I appreciate that. I really do. Well, do you, um, after, I guess, walk not walking away necessarily from your faith, but you've been transformed in some way, do you still... Yeah believe in good versus evil light versus darkness uh yeah i think we we live in a world of duality and here i think the buddha was on the right track uh the buddha you know in in christianity and judaism and in islam we're taught that there is good and evil and that we are to identify with the good and stay away from the evil the buddha had quite a different idea he said we have to embrace them both 
and we have to walk down that or find that middle way, he called it, that path that uh, encompasses both good and evil to come to the point where it encompasses both to that place beyond both. Uh, I've never, I was about to say I never, I had one, but I've never had, uh, except for this one time, um, a bad experience in an out-of-body trip. And I was quite uh, excited about the idea, and I was saying with a great deal of positivity when I was writing Supernatural Gods that you mentioned earlier, uh, that I've never had a bad out-of-body trip. Don't worry, everything's great, because I, on the other side, all, and not only my experience, but those who I have been with who have died and come back after near-death experiences, um, I haven't, I've yet to find anybody who wants to come back. They always want to stay because it's, it's, it's a place that you can describe only with words like love and compassion and goodness. And yet, um, I do believe that there are, there is also in this world, of this material world in which we live, a, a very evil reality, too, that we have to be on guard. Uh, and I'm... Does it exist in other dimensions? Uh, Probably. Uh, I don't believe in the Christian idea of heaven and hell that we talked about. I think those are just simply constructs. I I, I think heaven is much different than we can imagine, and I don't believe in a hell where a a good God is supposedly to torture you to death and fire forever. I, I don't believe that at all. And yet a lot of people are really afraid of that. Uh, that never enters my head when I start to think about my own death. I, I'm not worried. As a matter of fact, without being morbid, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I really am. Yeah, I find the prospect kind of exciting as well. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't plan on getting my ticket right now, but it's it, it, the, idea, the idea of that journey, uh, I, I do find kind of exhilarating. Yeah, 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 exciting. It's, it is a journey, and uh, it definitely goes on. I, I think anybody who who still is teaching us that uh, consciousness exists only in the brain or it's a product of the brain, uh, I think they're way off the base. I think the brain is a receiver of consciousness. It's not a generator, uh, kind of like a radio that gets radio signals and plays them. And so uh, that journey back into consciousness, uh, do we live after death? Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. We rejoin consciousness in a way that we probably can't even comprehend right now. Hidden History, The Quantum Akashic Field, Lost Civilizations, Supernatural Gods, Ancient Gods. You've got a new one coming out called Censoring God, The History of the Lost Books. Just give us a quick, uh, uh, I guess, summary of of, uh, Censoring God. That's going to come out on April 1st. And it's the story of the books that didn't make the Bible. Uh, We like to think that in Christian circles, and especially in Islamic circles and in uh, Orthodox Jewish circles, we like to think the Bible comes to us straight from God. But all of that wisdom that we read there uh, is censored by a committee. It was put together in every case by committee. And, And censoring God begins to examine the books that were, for one reason or another, rejected. And uh, I try to uh, not only talk, not only discover what those books are, but what those books said that caused them to be rejected that might have changed the Bible as we know it totally. 
Uh, so that's available in April. And the other books, how do we get a, a, a copy of those, Jim? Uh, probably the easiest way. Well, of course, they're on they're all on Amazon or the publishers, which is either uh, Finhorn Intertraditions Press for Quantum Akashic Field. And uh, then most of my other books have been published by Visible Inc. Press out of Detroit. Um, but probably the easiest way to do it is just go to my website, which is www.jimwillis.net. And that gives you all my other my other uh, social media numbers, my Facebook page, and I have a YouTube page. Matter of fact, uh, we were talking about dowsing. Um, my daughter handles all the technical end of this for me because I don't know anything about computers. But she has just put out a, a video that we work together on, on dowsing for beginners. It's uh, scheduled to be a uh, six-part video. The first part just came out a couple of weeks ago, and that's on my YouTube page, uh, which you can find just by going to YouTube and clicking in Jim Willis and then clicking on my picture. And uh, you'll find that whole thing about dowsing. And uh, another, uh, there's a lot of other different YouTube uh, things there about the order of religion and where it came from and everything else. But if you go to uh, www.jimwillis.net, all the information, all the books are there. You can order them right off the web page uh, and go from there. And I will link up to all of those in the episode notes for this podcast. Jim, great meeting you. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. It's time for another visit from Colleen Forgus, the manager of our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hey, Colleen, welcome once again. Hello, Richard. We are living in very stressful times. I don't need to tell you that. What do we have at the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary to help people manage their stress and, and remain calm? Boy, that's so true, Richard. There's a product called Stress Calm PX by Restorative Formulations. And this is um, a product with a lot of botanical ingredients. It has lavender, lemon balm, ashwagandha, and poppy. And it's designed to naturally help us stay calmer and also to help with sleep. I think those are all some things that we could be using some help with these days. And how often do you take it? This one is something that you would take twice a day, one or two capsules a day, not exceeding four in a 24-hour period. Stress Calm PX, and that's available at our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Full Script button. Don't forget, all subscribers get 10% off and free delivery on all orders over $50. Talk again soon, Colleen. Very good. Thanks, Richard. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, the legendary G. Edward Griffin, the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, which describes the formation of the U.S. Federal Reserve. He'll discuss how the United Nations plans on instituting a one-world government. Uh, Adam Weishaupt said that the way to control large groups of people and certainly the way to control the world is through a structure that he described as rings within rings within rings meaning that in the center of this conspiratorial group uh, there would be just one or two or three people who would dominate and then they would recruit around them a ring of other members to form another group by a different name and maybe 12 or 20 and they wouldn't know that there were three maybe in the center of that that were running the show. 
But then that outer group of, let's say, 12 or 20, would then form another organization, a ring around it that might have, you know, several hundred or a thousand, and so on outward until finally you get out to the large masses of society, like political parties would be formed, and they wouldn't have the slightest idea that they were being controlled by an inner ring, which was controlled by still one more inner ring, which was controlled by still one more inner ring. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.